This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. So I asked on today's podcast with Donald Trump, I asked him, uh, will you run a campaign if you're in jail? He answered. Uh, do you regret not locking Hillary up now that they're doing that to you? Uh, and will you lock people up if you're president? He answered that. Uh, asked him if he found a vice president in the GOP debate, which said he was, he was doing. I didn't ask him. My favorite question, really, it was, uh, how long did you practice in the mirror for that gangsta look in your... <laughs> um, but I didn't ask him that. But I did ask him about hope that we haven't lost the republic that we can count on the next election and that the economy can turn around. And he answered all of those on today's podcast and so much more. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. I got an email from uh, Sabo, the street graffiti guy. (laughs) <laughs> and he said, hey, I, I just uh, made something with uh, Donald Trump's mugshot. And here it is. Um, if you're watching, <laughs> if you're watching Blaze TV, you can. It's uh, the mugshot with Donald Trump, except he's got cornrows. And uh, it's a campaign ad. And it just says reelect corn pop. <laughs> One bad dude. I remember that guy from that really <laughs> terrible story uh, that uh, well, Joe Biden told. Which terrible story because Corn Pop was such a bad dude? Or such was, a, yeah. Or was it because that's the story that uh, came right out of and the little black children were petting my legs? Yeah. So that yeah. part was the yeah. disturbing part. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Corn Pop. Uh, you know, we never met Corn Pop. Uh, is Are you saying that Donald Trump may not be Corn Pop? I don't know. I don't know. I would not be surprised but uh re-elect corn pop one bad dude i'm trying to convince the blaze to you know they're they're you know they're cautious you know mm-hmm, obviously sure. mm-hmm. uh but uh i i i'd wear that t-shirt <laughs> i would wear that t-shirt it's uh yeah because it's uh, donald trump sort not exactly his mugshot but close to his mugshot yeah there's some alterations an yeah an artist an artist rendering rendering of it uh, yeah and then and, some, uh, with some alterations cornrows uh that's really pretty much that's really pretty much it it's uh it's just that so you know we got that uh we got that going for us got that going for us now there is a uh an article that was written by emmy uh emma joe morris that i think is worth uh reading verbatim listen to this leading up to the 2024 election There are a number of pressing issues Americans will consider rampant illegal immigration, skyrocketing inflation, the price of living, violent crime, marring cities. But those issues are now against the backdrop of a palpable shift towards authoritarianism and a vote for Trump in 2024 will be a vote of defiance. She writes, this is not the personal endorsement of the author but a statement of what the author believes to be fact for countless Americans. The American people have been watching over the years as the government authoritarian tendencies have been revealed 
First through coronavirus lockdowns and vaccine mandates. Then the vast and coordinated censorship of the New York Post's laptop from hell reporting. And now multiple indictments against the former president, Donald Trump, with a jarring image of his mugshot being released to the public on Thursday. At the beginning of 2020, purportedly free people were told they were not allowed to go to work. They couldn't go to church. Their children weren't allowed to go to school. They were going to be barred from playing outside in parks because the experts claimed these activities were too dangerous for American citizens based on now dubious and incomplete data. American citizens were made to cover their faces in public, a universal symbol of submission, even though there was no health-related justification for that edict other than particular rare masks in particular cases. American citizens had their movements tracked and their health information put in databases, measures that could have been lifted from any dystopian fiction. Corporate interests and power centers thrived while normal people suffered. But people, for the most part, kept their heads down and waited for the moment to pass. There are now indications that some or all of these measures may be reinstated come August the or autumn. The same year, the American people who were ostensibly have free speech rights were prevented from reading a series of news reports that were immediately relevant to their upcoming presidential election, describing an apparent scheme to peddle influence by one of the candidates. They would later learn that their government in coordination with some of the largest and most influential media and communication companies worked together to ensure that information would be censored in order to ensure the outcome of that election. See, this is what's really incredible. That affected the election, according to polls. People who voted for Joe Biden said, had they known, they wouldn't have voted for Joe Biden. And it was a 15-point swing. Now imagine what all of this stuff on Donald Trump is doing to him. Data would emerge that the goal was achieved, that censorship of these stories did secure the election, that votes were cast under false pretenses because of efforts of intelligence agencies. And again, corporate interests and power centers thrived while normal people suffered. But still, people for the most part kept their heads down and waited for the moment to pass. Every time one of these incidents occurred, we lamented about how unprecedented the event was, but still went about our lives and waited for the moment to pass. This time, however, feels different. As the American people watch an escalation with the leader of the political opposition being hounded and threatened with jail and the death penalty. The escalation is indicating to the American public that going about our lives and waiting for the moment to pass is not going to work. It signals that every time we put our heads down, those in power see an opportunity to seize even more power. The bureaucratic establishment, the corporate establishment, the political establishment, while Trump was president and since, has been in a sustained effort to undermine him, attack us, and grow its power. And now Trump is emerging as the, if just symbolic, mechanism to counter that effort. Voting for Trump over other Republicans or over Biden won't necessarily be because of his policies. That will be the last thing on some voters' minds. 
It will be an act of defiance against our government and institutions that are openly oppressing people and information they deem threatening to their self-interest and self-preservation. In the release of Trump's mugshot, a photo that will go down in infamy, the election has been turned into a referendum on authoritarianism. The opposition started about being about closing the border and lowering infl- uh, inflation and alleviate the pressure on the working and middle class caused by the recklessness of the elites. But now the mandate has shifted and has become more general to restore freedom by decimating the establishment and the bureaucracy and the experts. The release of that photo on Thursday was evocative of flag burning. It had a visual assault on everything we know about this country and what it is to be and the desecration of everything this country has stood for. It had also transmitted a signal to the nation. This game is going to be a zero-sum game. That is from Emma Jo Morris, who I heed that warning. I think she's right. We are headed into very, very dangerous territory because we are entering the time now where only a strong man will be able to hold things together. Only a strong man will be able to promise you, I'm going to clean up the streets. I'm going to protect the dollar. You know, I'm going to win the war, all of these things. And that could go either way because one side is screaming that you got to stop the parents from complaining because they're hurting their kids by not letting them, you know, have their, their gender and their bodies mutilated. One side is, is saying that we have to shut any opposition up because they're slowing down the progress. One side is marching off to war. Well, the other side seems to be marching behind, but at least marching with to war. The other side is demanding truth and an end to this madness, absolute madness. Who's going to stop it? Now, I think that there are real ways that can be done constitutionally. But I warn you, there is going to come a time where even on our side, many will say, screw the Constitution. There are things we have to do. That is always trouble. Always a sign you don't want to be in that group. Please be aware of this. There are forces uh, on many fronts on the left who wants to destroy the Constitution and those now posing as the right, but they're not the right. They're the fascistic left in America, the choice is not right or left. It is either anarchy or complete control. Right now, the people that are in the driver's seat and the people coming up now in the right who are disguising themselves as conservatives do not wish to conserve. They wish to destroy. 
It's why there are those progressive Republicans that are so into war. There are many Republicans that don't speak out about the things going on with Donald Trump right now because they'd like those tools themselves. And if they could just get control of this system, why, then we'd be fixed. No, we'll still be as broken. But they want you to be angry so you lose all reason and you say it's too far gone. It's only too far gone when there is no one standing for the Constitution. It's only too far gone when all of the voices are saying the same thing. Get them. I have Donald Trump on today in hour three, and I'm really excited to talk to him um, because I've never seen anything like this, and we keep saying this every day, never seen anything like this. This is obviously a coordinated attack. How is he going to run a campaign and stay on the road when he's in court all the time? How is he planning on fighting um, if he gets in? They're not going to stop. They're not going to stop. What happens if he goes to jail? And does he have a solution for us? I mean, most people are really truly struggling now, and it's just the beginning. The economy needs to be turned around. But all of the solutions that are currently being proposed are the exact opposite of what we need. Does he have hope for us? What is his path to hope? Donald Trump will join me uh, coming up on today's broadcast podcast. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. So let me give you this story from Axios uh, quickly. America's decades-long love affair with home ownership is holding back the economy and hobbling the Federal Reserve and exacerbating a national housing crisis. We're stuck here now. There's just too much wealth stored in too many houses for anything to meaningful change. The big picture is life is unpredictable journey. People change where they want and need to live all the time. And a country with 66% home ownership rate is not conducive to that. They're talking about how home ownership is trapping people. And the youth is trying to find a place to live, but all the houses are trapped, you know, by rich people or people who have owned their homes for a long time or people who have an interest rate at, you know, 2%. And so they can't, they don't want to leave it because they'll never get a loan that is that close to that. And so where are you going to go? So it's trapping all of us. And this has been bad. This has been very bad. 20 years ago, it says, a third, uh, in the third quarter of 2003, there were 83 million owners that occupied homes in America. They were changing hands at the rate of 6.5 million homes. Today, the number of homeowners is 96 million, but the rate of existing home sales has slumped to 4 million homes per year. Excuse me, 
We've been told our whole life, in fact, the lie that the American dream is home ownership, and that's all it is. That's been pushed since FDR, home ownership, home ownership. In fact, we got into the 08 crisis because the government was pushing home ownership. Everybody became un- uh, overextended. Now they're pushing for you to get rid of your home. Carol Roth is uh, joining us now. She is the uh, author of You Will Own Nothing, former investment banker and good friend of the program. Carol, welcome. Good to see you, Glenn. It's pretty amazing, isn't it, when you see the media who wants to take the biggest asset on households' balance sheet that yep. creates wealth uh, for middle America around the nation, and now they're telling you it's a bad thing. Isn't that really surprising? It is. You know, John Huntsman Sr. told me one point. He said, Glenn, don't be the guy that owns the oil well. Don't be the guy that owns the water well. Be the guy who searches for the water who purifies the water because whoever owns the scarce product, whoever owns it will be the bad guy and they'll come for you. And I think he was absolutely right. I just didn't think it would happen with homes, but I think this is the first shot of the government trying to get people out of their homes and, you know, Hey, we'll give you even a bigger tax break. If you sell your house, what, and you're going to give me money over land. No, thank you. I would offer that it's the second shot. You know, this is something that I wrote extensively about in You Will Own Nothing. Um, Obviously, the policies that followed the Great Recession financial crisis gave a ton of cheap available capital to Wall Street. It uh, bailed out the banks. And we know that uh, Americans lost about six million homes to foreclosures and short sales. And And following that. Yeah, I was going to say and and maybe this is the point you were going to make. And they (laughs) took that money from us. And then they went out because they had so much money, had to do something with it. They bought up homes. Yes. So we obviously share a brain. That's exactly what I was going to say. So before 2010, as we've talked about, there was no meaningful Wall Street corporate institutional money in single the single family home market. Now CoreLogic says at the end of 2022, more than one in every five homes in America is being bought by a corporate entity. So that is sort of the first shift. But now you have this gentleman from Axios, uh, who is one of the economic media darlings if you will, coming out and not only saying, oh, it's a really it's a problem that you own your home. It's really a problem that you have this this asset that's creating legacy wealth for you and your family. But the the mental gymnastics that it took for him to get there. Oh, this is holding back the economy and this is crippling the Fed as if it wasn't the Fed policy and the government policy that got us here in the first place. Crippling us. The fact that that you're trying to say, oh, but poor Fed, let's all cry for the Fed. This is the Fed's issue. The reason people are stuck in their homes, which you alluded to, and we don't have the turnover, isn't because people are trying to hoard wealth. It's because they literally cannot find another home. There's not enough supply. And part of that reason, like we said, is all the cheap capital that went in and drove up the prices of homes. So the price of the house 
is insane. And then at the same time, we've had a Fed that has changed the the uh, their their federal funds rates, which affects the mortgage rate. So people are locked in at three and a half percent, and now it's going to be seven and a half percent to get the mortgage. You can have one or the other. You can have an increasing home price mm-hmm. but cheap mortgages, or you can have you know a, a high mortgage rate but a cheap house. But you cannot have both of those at the same time. When you have both of those, you are not going to get people to move in the house. And the idea that they're blaming you for creating wealth instead of blaming the arsonist who burnt down the economy, the government and the Fed is absolutely despicable. But again, it falls under you will own nothing and you will be happy. We will own things. We will be great as the the elite. But you, you shouldn't own things because that's holding back the economy. This is as bad as stealing our history from us and repositioning our entire history that our founders were bad and everything else. They are taking something that that was not known as the American dream. The American dream was to come here, be able to own something, you know, your own land or whatever. But it wasn't the, you know, white picket fence and the whole that wasn't it. It was that you could own your idea, your business, your own land. And you did. You were the steward of that and nobody could touch it for them to take this idea and completely twist it around to where we're going back to the kings and the king's minions own the land and we can rent it from them is astounding, astounding. Well, let me tie this into your dark future thesis, which I also talk about. So think about the implications from a social credit perspective as well. Oh, yeah. You know, when you own your home, there is a level of sovereignty there, right? You can do what you want to do in your home. If you now rent from one of the Wall Street cronies and, you know, have the ability to have more homes turn over because it's better for the economy, Glenn, uh, then now Wall Street becomes a de facto arm of the government. They don't want you to have firearms. They don't want you to have gas stoves. You did whatever. Now, all of a sudden, well, I'm sorry, you violated your renter's agreement. You can no longer live here. We can't have that going on. So the importance of having the home, not only the largest wealth creator for families on a legacy basis, but also that individual sovereignty, that ability to say, this is my domain. I can do with it what I please. I can do you know, underneath it what I please. And I don't have to follow your instructions instead of being, as you said, that, that surf to the ruling class. This is incredibly, incredibly nefarious. And we have to make sure people own things. We have to make sure they preserve that key piece of freedom. It's why property rights are that essential essential, um, you know, leg of the stool in terms of our individual rights and our freedoms. It was religion uh, and speech and property. Those yeah. that was the basic idea of America. You owned your speech and your thought. You owned uh, your your life and liberty and, and what you wanted to do. And you could own property. Because in every other country, you couldn't own property. You had to be granted the land from the state, from the king. Well, that's what they're doing right now. The king is just coming in and wanting to take all of this land back, not necessarily for the king, 
but for <laughs> all of his cronies, all of the lords and the ladies who are running the companies. Right. And they're trying to get you to buy into that. You'll be happy piece or at least guilt you into it. Yes. This is, you know, you're holding back the economy. This is bad for everybody. You know, we can't grow and prosper, you know, if you don't give up your house. But they need you to buy into being happy. They need you to go along with this psyop because it's much easier for them to affect change and to hoard the wealth for themselves if you go along with it than if, if you are pushing back. Then they have to do it by force. And and obviously, that's not a good thing. Um, and so when you look at the young people of this country, Glenn, that's what's happening to them. They're being groomed and trained to rent things, to to you know basically have their life as a subscription or a service. We're seeing it in technology. We're seeing it in other areas. And because the home ownership is so unattainable for so many of these young people, because not only do they have those high home prices we're talking about and high mortgage costs, but their personal balance sheets are also decimated by the ridiculous college debt loans that they have that they you know ha have a very difficult time paying back because they're not getting an ROI on that. So it's basically crushing that American dream for them. And if you don't think something is attainable for you, you put up that defense shield and you go, well, you know, maybe I can't get it. Maybe I didn't want it in the first place. This will be a very bad outcome if we don't have more young people who want to own things because we will return to that feudal society and not have it a society of freedom. So, Carol, I want to talk to you about Kevin O'Leary. He said that rising interest rates and mortgage costs pose a major threat to households and small businesses. America is headed towards a rebalance after huge investment in the country's largest companies, while small and mid-sized firms have been neglected. Inflation is currently at 3.2%, and Fed Chair Jay Powell warned last week that the central bank has not ruled out further interest rate hikes to bring it down further. I'm sorry, the rate currently is 5.5%. Um, what I anticipate is going to happen here while we still have full employment, which is remarkable, you don't put any capital in the small business sector, which is 60% of the jobs, you're going to start to see some real chaos in September, October, November. Do you understand that or agree with that? Well, I mean, I think this has been going on for a long time. Obviously, you know, it's kind of the same thing that we were talking about in the previous sec uh, uh, segment. As these interest rates rise, you know, you have the opposite effect of what happened for the last 15 years. The last 15 years gave cheap, easy, available capital to Wall Street. They were able to take advantage of it in a way that small businesses couldn't. And so they have locked in for the large part, you know, a lot of debt at low rates, just like the home owners locked in mm -hmm. low mortgage rates. When you're a small business owner, you don't have that same capacity. You're often working off of a personal balance sheet um, or you're just kind of cobbling things together. So you had you didn't have that advantage on the side when they were suppressing the interest rates. Now, when it is rising, you're also in a worse position. And you, you have to remember, we've now had three years uh, just about where small businesses first were closed in large part, uh, about a third of the economy while their uh, big companies stayed open and they were hard hit by the supply chain crisis, by the labor crisis. So you know, just kind of anyone who, who survived is sort of just hanging on by 
by a thread already. And then you have now this you know sort of extra barrier of not being able to have the capital. So I do think that when you see the cracks, you're going to see it in two places. We've seen it in one, which were the tech firms that way overhired, uh, but they're they're normalizing to their pre-pandemic level. And then you're going to see it with the small businesses um, who don't have the the capacity, or they're at they're at their wits' end financially and 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 otherwise. And so you know it. it ends up being this consolidation where the small businesses can't survive and that business goes to the, the big businesses and you get this consolidation and the centralization of the economy. And I think that that, that is the, the overarching theme that we continue to fight against is centralization versus the decentralization that stands for freedom. I wish I, I wish there was somebody in everybody's home that like a cuckoo clock at the top of every hour <laughs> would just say, it's the Fed and government. It's the Fed and government because what they're doing with raising of interest rates and people don't understand this. They, they, they just hear this and think, oh, it's a, a mechanism to bring down my inflation. They don't understand what they're trying to do is stop as close as you can. It's like chemotherapy. Get as close as you can to stopping the heart of the economy without actually stopping. They need you to be unemployed. They need you to stop spending money. And the reason why they need that is because they're spending so much money. We've spent a lot as people. They've spent much, 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 much more. And because they continue to spend all of that, they need you to stop. And so they're trying to stop the heart of the economy without killing the patient. It's extraordinary how evil I think this really is. Yeah, and they never take any responsibility. Any responsibility. They they don't say, oh, it was you know the the government spending and this ridiculous you know COVID quote unquote emergency that we had to monetize and that you know they spent too much and and we had to print too much money and so we caused this and so now we're fixing our mistake. Yeah. No, it, it it's your problem. It's your and problem. You need to do these things. Yeah, and you need they to sell your the- you need to sell your home uh, because <laughs> the Fed needs it. Listen, I'm only at two minutes left. Let me ask you about bricks. I'm becoming increasingly concerned that all of these countries all around the world are starting to join in and and cobble together a currency. When that happens, we we could become Venezuela overnight. How real is this getting? All right. So I probably cannot answer this in in a minute and a half. And we're going to have to talk about this. I think the big takeaway is that with these nations coming together and forging stronger alliances, what they're doing is that they're killing the petrodollar and by, uh, you know, extension, the U.S. dollar. They don't even need a new currency. They didn't unveil a new one. But if they just do more trade in local currency, that takes away a big source of the financing that the government has been using to expand very cheaply. And we should definitely do a deep dive into it because there's there's so much meat there. Okay, we'll have you back on, uh, Carol. Thank you so much. All right, thanks, Carol so. Roth. The name of her book is "You Will Own Nothing," and if today's Axios story, how homeownership is holding back the U.S. economy, isn't proof of what she writes about, what I write about uh, in Dark Future, uh, I mean, I can't get any clearer than that particular story. It is uh, amazing what is happening to us. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. The by far front runner for the Republican nomination 
and the most persecuted man in, I believe, American history, the former president of the United States, uh, President Donald Trump. Welcome to the program, sir. How are you? Well, thank you, Glenn. I'm fine. Okay. I'm fine. You're probably right about that. I, I, Sadly, the most personal. Yeah, you I've are. I've never a, heard it put quite as succinctly, but uh, it's probably true. So let me ask you, you know, you've seen the deep state. We now all know what you saw was true and deeper than I think any of us knew. They've weaponized everything. They are serious about trying to put you in prison. Can I ask, will you and can you run a campaign from a jail cell? Well, I don't think that's ever happening. We have a great case. Uh, every case is a scam. Uh, this is just like Russia, Russia, Russia. Remember, I was going to be guilty with Russia, Russia, Russia. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, with 18 radical Democrats and Bob Mueller, the Mueller report said there was no collusion. Everyone yep. had a heart attack. And uh, then they started Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. Then they started lying on Pfizer reports. These are bad people. These are sick people. And now uh, we're, we have the biggest lead I've ever had. Uh, mm-hmm. The debate, I actually went up after the debate, as you know. We did your, your friend Tucker's uh, interview, yes. and he had 261 million people, which is an all-time record. Yep. So when you say, uh, like, I didn't do a debate, I actually didn't do a debate, but I had 261 million people listening versus 11 million, which mm-hmm. they had, which was one of the lowest-rated debates. So uh, I went up uh, fairly substantially after that, and I think the... Uh, fake indictment that they did in Georgia was uh, yeah. very helpful. And then they insisted on a mugshot and somehow it turned out to be very iconic. You know, I have to tell you, I, I don't know how you uh, how you do it every day. I really don't. I, I, I would have lost my mind a long time ago. You said in, in 2016, you know, uh, lock her up. And then when you became president, you said, we don't do that in America. That's just not the right thing to do. That's what yeah, they're well, doing. Do you regret not locking her up? And if you're president again, will you lock people up? Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, the answer is you have no choice because they're doing it to us. I always had such great respect for the office of the president, the presidency, and uh, but the office of the president. And I never hit Biden as hard as I could have. And then I heard he was trying to indict me, and it was him that was doing it. You yes. know, I don't think he's sharp enough to think about much. <laughs> but he was there, and he was probably the one given the order. But he was, you know, hard to believe that he even thinks about that because he's he's gone. But then I said, well, they're actually trying to indict me because every one of these indictments is him, including Bragg. You know, Bragg yeah. put his he put his top people. I don't know if you know this. He put his top person into the office of the Manhattan District Attorney. They've been in total coordination with Fannie Willis. Uh, the uh, woman that I never met that they accused me of rape, that's being run by a Democrat, uh, a Democrat operative and paid for by the Democrat Party. Uh, you know, so many of these things, I have a couple of other lawsuits, all funded against me by the Democrat Party. These are sick people. These are evil people. And it actually it's an amazing thing. We talk about the public. The public is smarter than Anyone can imagine because they understand what's happening. And my, it's really actually driven. I was doing very well before this stuff, but it's really driven my poll numbers up. And you look at these, you know, that basically they're saying, I don't have a right to challenge an election. And I, I did something and I have to get it to you like immediately yesterday where we put in all of the Democrats over the last 15, 20 years. That oh, yeah. Challenging elections. And we, this tape, the problem is it would go on for two hours. Yeah. 
No, we have twenty five. We have twenty five minutes of it. <laughs> I mean, no, it's oh, crazy. You, you got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Did you get that from me? Did Did my office send that in? I don't know. I don't. I don't remember where we. Uh, do you okay, remember, good. Stu? But, but we have show. it. and We've played it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's uh, incredible. It does. Yeah. It doesn't stop. No. I mean, it doesn't stop. They just. It just keeps going and going. So and much nastier. I mean, I'm I'm like a kind person by comparison. They're calling for death. That you oh, know. Maxine Waters is crazy. She's like a crazed lunatic. The way she talks about people, go into restaurants and beat them up and uh, things. You, so, you know, her statements are just unbelievable. But a lot of them are unbelievable. And uh, th- nobody talks about them. Hillary Clinton, who called up and conceded the night of the election. And a week later, she started saying that she won the election. Not that she was. She said, I didn't win. Uh, I didn't win. You know, it's all not. And then she made up the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax. And then after two years, I won that. And then they go into Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. No, these are sick people. I know. But the public so, gets it. They get it almost as well as you do. So, so Mr. President, we have, um, we have so many problems. I, I, got, a, uh, I got a call from a, a Democrat uh, just uh, last week. And she said, uh, Glenn, I'm, I'm thinking about voting for a Republican. And I'm still a Democrat. She said, but I'm on a fixed income. I know for a fact what I used to have in my pocket at the end of every month is now not even there at the end of every week. They are hurting. People feel like the republic is over. A lot of people look at what's going on and say, this can't last. Can you give people hope that change can happen and you can bring things back Uh a, a republic and an economy? So, Glenn, I can. Look, we had this running until COVID, two and a half years. It was the greatest economy in the history of the world. We were, everybody was happy. African-Americans, Asian-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, women, men, people with diplomas from MIT and people with no diplomas from high school. Everybody was happy. And frankly, I was getting calls from people on the left and even the radical left, get together, get together. This country was coming together. Then we got hit with COVID. We did a great job with COVID. It has never been acknowledged, but it will be in history. We did a great job with the ventilators and all the things we did because nobody knew what it was. Nobody had any clue as to what Mm -hmm. it was. And we did a great job. And when we handed it back over after a terrible, terrible election, I mean, they used COVID, they cheated. Even if you just go by what they did with legislators uh, and legislatures, uh, what they did with the consent decree in Georgia, the signing of that consent decree was by Raffensperger and the governor. The signing of that consent decree was the end of Georgia. That was the beginning of the end. And then when Doug Collins didn't get in, instead of picking, you know, you would have had Purdue, you would have had Collins. It would have been like a routine thing. But if you look Georgia, at those Georgia things, it was so badly hurt. But the signing of that consent decree and frankly, going around legislatures and not getting approvals and running these elections the way they ran them was a disgrace. But I, again, I got more votes than any sitting president in history by I far, know. by millions. I know. And it's a very, very sad thing. that so, happened to us. So so let me ask you, because you 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 talk about um, what has happened in the past. I look at the GOP, you know, the head of the the chair of the RNC uh, tweeted on the day that you had the mugshot, 
her excitement for the convention to come to Houston in 2028. They're not. I mean, the GOP is not at their post. And uh, Wisconsin, Georgia, uh, Pennsylvania, the, the GOP has not been changing the things that happened last time in the election. They haven't shored those up. How do we how do we ensure that we have a real election if the GOP won't them. do anything? Yeah, you're not you're not wrong. Look, I've been complaining they're not tough enough. The Democrats are dirty players. They lie. They cheat. What they did was unbelievable with ballots, with every every conceivable form of of cheating. And it, that includes, if you think, even the FBI. How about the FBI Twitter? Then you have the DOJ and, and Facebook, and you have all of these things that happen. And it was incredible what they did. And they used COVID to do it. But, you know, it's, I'll tell you, my most two questions that I've asked most often is the first is, how do you take it? How do you live? How do you take it? And I get that asked from very successful people like you. Yeah. But I get that asked by the most successful people, people that have been tough and smart. They say, could I ask you something, President? How do you take it? And I take it because I take it. You know, I mean, I, I sometimes say, do I have a choice? These people are, are crazy. But, you know, I've been taking it from the day I came down the escalator. You know, they made up that Russia hoax when I went up to number one in the polls. You know, if I wasn't uh, polling, if I were doing in fourth place, like almost everybody, you know, they're all, they're all gone. The Republicans are all gone. They're way, they're way down. Uh, De Sanctimony is a very disloyal guy. He's so far down. I think he's probably not even going to be in second place much longer. But I'm, I'm 40, 50 points ahead of all the Republicans. But they say, how do you take it? The fact that there's such love of what we stand for and what we stand for is a great economy, strong borders, all of it's going to come back. The hardest thing to cure is going to be the millions and millions of people that they allowed into our country. Yeah, they allow millions of people... And Glenn, these are people from prisons, from jails. These are people from mental institutions, and you can call them insane asylums, which is a step above. These are the, the people that they're allowing into our country, and there are terrorists. Uh, there are terrorists coming into our country, and they're just walking in, and they're totally, nobody knows who they are, what they are, where they are. It's what they're doing to our country is either a death wish they're not stupid because anybody that could cheat that way in elections is not stupid. But what they are is, I believe they might hate our country. They have to <laughs> you think they might. They might hate our country. No, no, but, and who can want open borders? Right. Who I know. can want no voter ID? You know, they have a thing for voter ID. Let's, they fight voter ID viciously. Why don't you want voter ID? Because you want to cheat. And if you think about it, they have to cheat. Because who wants open, who's going to vote for open borders, high taxes, high interest rates, bad economy, weak military, woke and a woke military, believe it or not. You know, I defeated ISIS with our military. I did it in four weeks. I took out ISIS. I was told by uh, certain generals that are television generals it would take years. And I flew to Iraq and I came back with uh, some incredible information. And I knocked out ISIS in four weeks. You know, our so, military is incredible. They don't get the credit. But then you see in Afghanistan, I was all forgetting. I'm yeah. the one that got the troops down. I know. But you have to keep Bagram, and you have to take our soldiers out last, not first. What they did is so horrible. And I believe it was the lowest point in the history of our country. What happened that oh, withdrawal, I, the way they withdrew from Afghanistan was yeah. the lowest 
in the history yeah, of our country. I but no, so. we'll bring it back. Okay, we're so bring back the economy, and ahead. we're going to bring back the strong border. Last question: uh, You said that you weren't uh, you weren't going, but you would be watching the uh, the debate for a vice president. Have you thought of Vice President Ramaswamy? Well, I think he's great. Look, anybody that said I'm the best uh, president in a generation, I don't know, you'll have to define generation for <laughs> so long time. And uh, he said it a couple of times, and he said it in 100 years. So I have to like a guy like that. You know, I can't get up upset with him. But he's a smart guy. Uh, he's a young guy. Uh, he's got a lot of talent. He's a very, very, uh, a very intelligent person. He's got good energy, and he, he could be in some form of something. I tell you, I think he'd be very good. I think mm. he's very good. I think he's really distinguished himself. He's starting to get out there a little bit. He's a little bit getting a little bit controversial. I got to tell him be a little bit careful because <laughs> some, things to, some things you have to hold in just a little bit, right? But yeah. he's, uh, he's got a lot of good energy, I will tell you. And he's, he's, uh, he's been very nice to me. And, and, you know, most of them have, other than Christie. Don't forget, Christie left with an 8% oh, yeah. approval rating. Oh, yeah, it was horrible. He left with, and he was tied up in Bridgegate, the whole thing. Yeah. It was a mess. It was he was a disaster. It, it was amazing how there is the new generation and the the old generation of of Republicans that just seem to be completely out of touch with what time it is. No. So they don't get it. Yeah. They don't. And Mitch McConnell, I mean Mitch has oh. to go, has to go. He's given them trillions of dollars that he could have stopped. You know, and now they're campaigning on the fact that they have trillions of dollars. That was given by Mitch and his and ten of his people that voted as he demanded that they vote. And, you know, it's not that he's a leader. He raises a lot of money and he gives it to senators. Yeah, no. He, and it's sort of like he buys his leadership. It's exactly terrible. Exactly right. But, but he gave them all of this Green New Deal money, and it's probably $9 trillion if you add it up. And it's like throwing it out the window. It's a horrible thing. And it does cause inflation. But it's like throwing it out the window. It's a horrible thing. President Donald Trump, thank you very much, sir. We pray for you. Millions of Americans uh, stand behind you. And I, I hope more and more Americans wake up to uh, the circus that uh, we've turned our country into uh, with this persecution of you. But thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. And we're going to make America great again. You watch. It's going to happen fast. It's going to happen fast. And I appreciate it very much. And you're a brave voice. You are a very brave voice and have been for a long time. Thank you, Thank you, Glenn. You bet. Bye-bye. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder.